Welcome to the fourth episode of the Where You Stumble podcast. It is February 18th, 2023 at the time of recording. I'm Frank, and today I'm joined with Matthew, Emily, and our special guest, AJ Kaba. This episode is sponsored by RoadRunnerWheels.com. Check out RoadRunnerWheels.com for all your wheel and tire needs. If you are listening to this on Spotify, I encourage you to check out our YouTube channel, Where You Stumble. There, you can watch all of these episodes of this show, as well as our interviews. The interviews are only available on YouTube. Hello, everyone. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, same. Doing pretty well. Yep. Pretty good. So, uh, Matthew, I don't know if you've uh, met AJ. AJ nope. is my son. Um, and we invited AJ to be on the show today uh, so we can uh, so we can kick it. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, little cuz. <laughs> so, uh, AJ, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm 17 years old. I'm in my senior year in high school. I graduate in May. I'm really into musical theater, acting, and anime and manga, and I really like music. I like playing guitar and singing and just listening to music. And I'm kind of an artist, and I like to consider myself a bohemian. <laughs> kind of an artist. Kind of an artist in all mediums yeah really. you basically do everything yeah and i recently picked up photography which is really fun uh i'm matt uh i'm 33 i do it i write a little on the side so i kind of dabble into the arts myself but i kind of like uh consuming content more than creating it at this stage in my life uh, i'm emily i i like to read fiction and nonfiction. I like to write fiction and nonfiction. I I like video games because they're like just an immersive storytelling medium, but I like other storytelling media as well. Um, yep. Good, good. So how are we going to get started today? Who's going to interview our special guest? I can, we can, or we can just uh, jump right in. I'm kind of curious, like, oh, I was going to say, like, I'm kind of curious, you just picked up photography, so what, and according to Emily, you kind of do a little bit of everything, but what constitutes everything? Like, what other forms or, like, mediums do you do art with? I'm most notorious for singing, acting, and dancing. I also draw. I like to write, usually fiction. I don't think I've ever written anything nonfiction. Um... What else? I just, also like just, to play video games. Just a little bit of everything. I play instruments too. I try yeah. to write music. I'm not very good at writing music more than I'm better at writing stories. And I've always been interested in photography, but I didn't pick it up until I started AP art this semester. Got it. I also collect cameras like vintage cameras. That's pretty dope. 
Do you prefer uh, Nikon or Canons when it comes to that divide? For collecting or using? I mean, I use a Nikon. Both. I like collecting Fujifilm because they look pretty. Um, tell us about some of the things that you've done. How did you even get into singing and dancing and performing? I don't remember what initially got me into it. I know when I was younger, I really liked musicals, like movie musicals. And my favorite movie musical was probably Annie. So I would watch that one a lot. I would watch other musicals like Disney and stuff. Um, I don't know. I've always really wanted to be acting or singing or dancing. I always wanted to be moving around. when I was younger <laughs> and I still want to move around now just a little bit less <laughs> Mm -hmm. when um did you do your first musical and where was it I did my first musical my first stage musical that wasn't like affiliated with a school or anything when I was 13 and when we were living in Florida it was It was the Lion King Jr. and I was Simba, big Simba, not little Simba. While I was in Florida, I did, that's really where I built up my, my theater resume. I did Little Mermaid Jr. I did a lot of junior musicals. I also did Dreamgirls where I was the only, not the only, but one of the only non-black ensemble members. <laughs> I also did... Rent School Edition, where I played Angel. I did 13, where I played the main character, Evan. What else did I do? I really can't... There's, like, so much that I can't remember it all off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. I More think recently... uh I went to see you um <laughs> do SpongeBob yeah, I did and do SpongeBob over the summer. and you were SpongeBob I was. I yeah had... I had a blonde mullet. It was... like growing in so I had brown roots and then I also had a little patch of purple hair that I tried to hide with some color wax that you gave me and it didn't work That purple was left over from <laughs> another musical. You had purple it was hair. it was Little I shop. I did have purple hair for Little Shop I also had purple hair for The Portal Trader which is an original musical based off of my friend's original Oh, book. yes. So I did, I think, two characters with purple hair. Tell us, uh, what are you working on now? In school, I'm working on the Addams Family musical where I'm head choreographer, dance captain, and Pugsley. And outside of school, I'm working on a feature film. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, well, the film is directed by, directed, written, and produced by Francis Ford Coppola. It is his magnum opus, opus, magnum opus, and I play a supporting role. Tell us how, how did you get this role? My, mm, I gotta think about this. My brother-in-law. I guess that's what he's going Mm hmm to be. He sent me the casting call through Facebook. It was posted on Facebook looking for a 
quote-unquote petite cool type punk like non-binary person and I fit that description almost perfectly so of course he sent it to me and then I sent in my resume and then in return they asked for a self-tape which I sent in and then I got called back for an in-person callback then I waited a few weeks I thought after a while I was like okay I guess I didn't get it because I didn't get a call for a while and then they called me and I got it so that's awesome that's uh pretty um pretty amazing that your was this your first audition for anything outside of theater it was actually um I never really thought about doing film that's a lie I have thought about doing <laughs> film I really wanted to be on tv when I was a little kid and I had a friend who had a very like imaginative mind mm -hmm. in elementary school and she would just lie to us she would be like hey I'm in a show and you guys can be in it too and I was like oh my god that's crazy but she was lying because she was like eight and that's what kids do <laughs> so I think I always I just wanted to be in the limelight mm -hmm. and theater is a beautiful medium that I just love to be a part of and I'm it's very different from film and I would love to continue to pursue both what show was that that like really kind of caught your eye and that made you want to be on TV? If you don't mind sharing. Be on TV, it's probably just like those Disney or Nickelodeon shows where the main characters are kids. Yo Gabba Gabba? I don't know. <laughs> no, not Yo Gabba Gabba. I just like to watch that one. There were those, I don't know, there were those shows that had like, like guest stars and, be, and I would be like, when I get famous, I'm going to be one of those guest stars. So, <laughs> how has your experience been filming, um, filming a movie compared to theater? It's very different. Um, it's luxurious in a way. I've never experienced it before, especially with a feature film with a very What's the word? I'm just going to use the word famous. With a very famous director slash writer. So when I arrive on the set, it's it's like otherworldly to me. Because I don't know what else it could be. It's very different filming. You get to do multiple takes, obviously. You still do rehearsals and stuff. Mm-hmm it's there's more opportunity for expanding if that makes sense like in theater you usually have to stick very close to the script and you can't like wander off because you have a scene partner who needs to do their lines and they need to keep the story moving along in a certain way in film i had to guess when to put my my lines in because my scene partners would mix around their vo their lines or or they would just like say something like completely different and I would be like this is not what is written but I'm going to go with it so 
it's kind of that sounds so fun like you're literally just playing pretend with these people i really felt like i had to i really felt like i had to guess when i was supposed to speak like it was an actual conversation but i had like this like pre-written in my head Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's so weird i can see how that's different than theater where in theater they kind of stick to the lines and the script and the choreography and and uh you only get one take (laughs) right yeah it's i mean you rehearse it a certain way and we always say the way that you rehearse is the way you perform so Mm -hmm. if you're rehearsing it saying it a certain way delivering it a certain way your scene partners are going to expect you to say it and deliver it that way and if you don't they're going to be stuck and they're not going to know what to do we call that we call that sandbagging in 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 theater yes mm-hmm. that's a weird term do you it's... feel that it's more improvisational then when it comes to film rather than i i do because the lines are still being said like mm-hmm. in some way or form like they're event- like they're getting there they're getting to the point but they right. have so much more freedom to try it out however they like since we do it in multiple takes and i had never experienced anything like that before so i didn't know how to go about it but i mean it's, one day it's you told really us fun to learn one day you told us that they expected you to do like a monologue and you had to improv and you 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 were stuck and they were like all right keep going but you didn't know what more to say francis he would he lets me call him uncle francis it's very <laughs> sweet but he he told me he's like when i go like this i want you to keep saying things and when i go like this you've said enough so he st- he sat in front of me to get me to try and like do a monologue and talk about myself and and like talk about my character the way that they would speak and he kept going like this and i kept stuttering like i didn't know what else to say and there was another time because my character is very smart with AI nanotechnology. So they know crazy, crazy like science words that I don't know. So they had someone who's very smart, who works in IT, like sit next to me and just feed me smart lines to say and I would have to just repeat it. (laughs) That's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so you're just saying stuff. You have no idea what what you're saying, but you're uh, nope, not at all. You're enjoying it. That's pretty cool. I really am. Are there any? I know you can't say a lot, but are there any actors that you've met that you know that have maybe given you, um, you know, some guidance? You know, how did they treat you on set? You know, I would say. I would say the person who's given me the most guidance would have to be Balthazar Getty or Natalie Emanuel. They're both very, very genuine and sweet people. And they're like, like older sibling kind Mm -hmm. of to me, I guess. I don't know how else to describe them. They're just very kind. They approach me with a very like soft voice. They know how to talk to me they tell me things like like speak up for myself and let me know that i can advocate for myself in the work workplace so 
Yeah, that's got to be a good feeling, right? Because this being new, it's you a go very on good set feeling. with all of these famous actors and you have at least, you know, you have that um, like Balthazar and, and Natalie and you feel like they're they have your back. That's pretty good. That's, you know, that's a good feeling to have. You don't feel lost. Be yeah. Like arriving on set, being this being my first role and seeing everyone knowing what they're doing and stuff. It's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I would get very nervous and quiet. And I think during rehearsals, Balthazar saw that because Balthazar was the first to approach me during rehearsals. And we would probably we would talk a lot. So knowing that they they see me and they have my back, it means a lot. Yeah, I got a chance to meet Balthazar Getty um, and I was very impressed with him. He's such a cool guy, such a nice guy. Um, he's been around forever. Um, Matthew, he was in the movie called Lord of the Flies. Balthazar oh. Getty. Yeah, and... Um, you know, he's a DJ, he raps, he's, he's, I mean, this guy's pretty cool. And um, I got to see that he was genuinely um, helping AJ. And, um, you know, it feels good to know that, that, that he got his back, you know? Yeah. Especially, I'm sure, like, from, like, seeing that this is a fresh thing for you as an actor, like, it's cool to see that he's fostering that in young actors. Mm -hmm yeah that's that's good yeah so that's um pretty cool experience to you know be cast um are you still filming i go back i think in a week to continue filming after december i was on a little break and then yeah i get my hair done this week and then I go back the week after. Are you going to pursue film um, and acting and maybe television as well? Yes, I. this experience definitely makes me want to continue doing film and TV. Awesome. I, I, I recently saw some pictures that you, you had a photo shoot um, done by uh, a pretty popular photographer that I uh, personally know, Akira Ruiz, um, who does amazing work. If you guys um, need a photographer, you can go to akiraruiz.com. Um, amazing guy, has worked with many, many people. I'm super impressed with his work. And the work that he did for you was um, was pretty cool, turned out pretty good. And Matthew, I'll send you some of those so you can. So you I was going to say, I'd like to see some of the work. That'd be great. Mm -hmm. Again, I have... I have to plug him. AkiraRuiz.com. <laughs> great work. I mean, this guy does uh, amazing. He's a he's an artist. And it was really fun too. All the pictures. Yeah. yeah. It was so fun. It was crazy. He he has a little um, speaker. He lets us connect our phone, and then we play whatever music we want during our photo shoot and i have all of the pictures he sent them to me they're on my computer and my profile picture on this is one of the pictures i did i think four photo shoots or three photo i don't know but 
they're all very different. They were very artistic. He's an artist, and I was really glad that I got to be part of that. You had mentioned that you're big on, uh, apart from the, like, recently picking up photography, being really big, like, obviously you have a pretty, pretty illustrious career so far for someone your age in a theater. But um, when it comes to drawing and writing, where's that been for you? Is that more like you feel just like an expressive hobby or is it something that you're pursuing as well? It was a hobby for a very long time. And I didn't write a whole lot for other people till mm. recently. I started posting some like fandom related stuff on a forum for people to read just like little stories about their character, like not about their characters, but about characters from anime and stuff that people know, just stories and scenarios that I come up with. Is and that me or that was they're... you, Frank? <laughs> me. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I just post, I just write some fiction. I'm writing a jukebox musical, which is a musical with music that's that already exists. Okay. So I don't have to write the music. I just have to write the story and place the music in places to keep the context relevant. I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, Let me think of a... There's a jukebox musical called 9 to 5, which uses Dolly Dolly Parton songs. Um, What about the one with Moulin Rouge? ABBA. Oh, that's that's right. Mamma Mia. That's... I I guess I didn't know that there was a term for it, but I was familiar with, like, the idea of musicals that use existing music. So I'm working on that with a friend of mine. It's going very well. Very excited about that. Um, And with drawing, that was a hobby for a very long time. And I didn't really want to better it until... I don't know what made me want to get better at art. But when I look at it, I just... I mean, I want it to look accurate. So I study a lot of anatomy and proportions. And Mm -hmm. I mean, now I'm talking with my friends about starting a, like a Tumblr ask blog about our D&D characters so that we can start a sort of D&D campaign where like Tumblr users can be Tumblr askers. They can ask things and sort of be the DM of the campaign and they lead oh. the story for the characters. So I'm very excited to try that and do awesome. that. I've, yeah, and I've wanted to make comics for a while so like now finding a simplified comic style i have two like art styles i'll be able to pursue that just for fun (laughs) what would you say like as far as uh i know you had mentioned sort of like growing up being influenced by like you know annie or disney musicals and being really into musicals as far as the comics and manga, anime, and all that goes, what would you say are, like, the major influences in that realm that led you to it? I know the answer to this one. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. It's about you. (laughs) My major influence for art and drawing was Emily because she's my older sister. We're just... Oh, there go the feels. 
She's just like a, your work. barely a year older than me. She, I mean, I was a copycat when I was a kid. I would see <laughs> something she did and I was like, I want to do that too. So mm. she would watch an anime and then I would start watching it. And then <laughs> I got more hooked on it than she did. So I kind of have her to thank. Um, but with art, she was definitely my inspiration. I would see things that she drew and I would look at mine and be like, mine doesn't look like that. So I would just copy her until I got it right. But my main influence, especially for anime and manga, was definitely Emily. Because she's not into it anymore. She was never yeah. really into it. But it just, it like stuck to me mm. more than it Yeah, did. I'm not the one with the anime posters behind me, but You're clearly... lucky you can't see them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're all over. So, Emily, show us some of your work. Uh, maybe I'll plug. Too. I mean, all right. I mean, I don't post a lot of my it. art on no, my we like, know. main Instagram, but I have an Instagram that I share mostly with like online friends, so that it's not connected to my main account, and I post some art there. Well. What AJ? What while well, Emily looks for, for her artwork, which mangas are you? You know, can you name some? Okay. Um, I really like Soul Eater, Attack on Titan, Chainsaw Man. Yuri on Ice doesn't have a manga; it's an original anime. But I really like Yuri on Ice. My hero. I'm not very into My Hero Academia anymore, but I was in middle school um my my collection is like right next to me but the spines are facing away so i have to get out of frame to just look at them and name them i really really like this one called sarazanmai it doesn't have an english translation that's just what it's called and it's very weird if you tried to explain it to anyone but it's a very good manga and anime so matthew i thought you were into manga those are just a few I was I was going to ask. I was like, there's a few that are like that. Like uh, when she when you're mentioning like the what is it? Fully Cooly, I think FLCL was a big one, which is like they did. One. It's a manga, but then they did like a six episode anime, and like it. I'm gonna attempt to explain this, but uh a god falls to earth and she becomes obsessed with a young man because she reminds him like i'm i'm butchering this but she's trying to escape the god that's in love with her and he's coming to earth so she uses this human being and kind of like curses him with her guitar to be able to literally like pull ideas out of his forehead um and his life gets completely flipped upside down because the things he thinks keep popping out of his face. Wow. Um, and that it's very wacky. It's very weird. Yeah. So I don't know if that's the sort of weird that that it's, comes from. But It's definitely weird. Sadazanma is weird. When you said guitar, you reminded me of another one. It's a romance anime called Given. And okay. it's about guys who play in a band and they want to go pro and stuff. It's very beautiful and like 
heart-wrenching. I've cried to it. <laughs> but yeah. Sada's I feel like that's is... a common thing with a lot of like newer anime and manga though. Like growing up, I mean, Frank, I don't know if you were ever big on that stuff back in the day, but like Dragon Ball Z and like yeah, like Yu Yu Hakusho. Those ones the are witch? shonen. No, not shonen. Yeah, shonen. Those ones are shonen, and then given would be considered a shojo, which is just like romance or slice of life. I didn't know if we were gonna shoujo. dive this deep. I was gonna say like, <laughs> if it it sounded me, to me yeah. at least, yeah. When that's kind of what I was gonna touch on was like with shonen's like My Hero Academia and stuff. You always have like everyone's got a superpower there's always the like the it's, rival it's friend action. like the vegeta there's, yeah, that, well like all of them action. have that yeah and soul eater then, i like, think is a shonen too mm. technically and then like attack on titan kind of i feel is that attack on titan's a weird one though because that one's like the emotions crazy. run so high yeah. I couldn't like sit through a. I couldn't sit through Attack on Titan. I tried. No, it was, I tried to get him into it. Yeah, it was a bit too. It started off too slow for me. That's how I was at first when I was in middle yeah. school. I couldn't get into it. I pretended like I was into it, but I really didn't know what was going on. And then, yeah, more not more recently in 2020, I started rewatching it, and I got really into it. I've got. I've got three Attack on Titan posters back there, one here and one here. And then I have another one that's like hidden somewhere. It's problematic in its later episodes and like chapters. It is. It yeah. is like because it gets it starts to it... resemble it starts to resemble a world war. So it dives a little bit into racism and anti Semitism. So I was gonna say it's like, a little it, bit it's... more real. It starts to look like World War II, but like not the good side of World War yeah, II. Not like not at the all, winners. Not at all. <laughs> it gets it gets crazy. Yeah. And what but was up that, till that show point, it's interesting. That I liked that you introduced me to. Sword Art Online. Online. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I love that one. You yeah. like yeah. I liked the first That says series. some things about you, Frank. That's <laughs> You you couldn't get into the one about the angry guy like coming to terms with himself, but you could really get into the one with the guy that all the girls are gonna be flocked around. That wasn't why them died. (laughs) It was because And what he started he didn't even watch he didn't watch the whole thing. He started watching when we were getting to the end of the first arc, and then he watched the second arc where they go to the the second game. And uh, I only watched the I first watched, season. I watched it in like fifth I grade and Yeah, I couldn't get into it past that. It's still going, if you didn't know. Oh wow. It's still Jeez. going. Maybe I'll get back into For it. For some reason. <laughs> I like to think that it ended where it did because that was just so perfect to me. It's <laughs> yeah. like, yay, they're happy, that's it. <laughs> I've always been a sucker. Like it's it's primarily shonens, but like I do like some shonens as well. Um, for me, it always like the ones that I got hooked on were uh, like One Piece is something that I like. I jump back and forth with. The more expansive of like, you not a fan? It's too long. I've never started it. I don't think I will start it. I'm not a fan of the art style either. Not like it's nothing weird. against it. It's just not my 
cup of tea. Oh, I didn't make it, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. So, Emily, no, you have something true. to show? I do. AJ, oh, do you have anything to show? I do. You go first. Okay. All right. This is the first thing of this sketchbook. I drew it on the first day that I was in the, the Dominican Republic last year. It's the goat that was, oh. she would occasionally come around. So I drew that's her. That's so cute. Right? So on anyone that's listening to this on Spotify, Emily is showing a picture of a goat that yes. she drew <laughs> when she spent some time in the Dominican Republic. Yeah. This is Anne Shirley Cuthbert. Because I am a big Anne fan of... E. Yes, I'm a big fan of Anne with an E. And Very cool. The, I colored that digitally and I posted it. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Julie Bell. I think she was like a, a bodybuilder. But I liked her, so I like drew yeah. her she, based on some references. Good. Yeah. Emily, She's an illustrator now. now. That's so cool. Emily, I was going to say our art now it our art styles are a lot different my yeah. art has taken a more cartoony and very manga inspired style and yours is more semi and like realistic yeah I Mine, like this realism. is what i did yesterday of my D, &D oh, character as i was revamping mm -hmm. it <laughs> um and then i have other ones i have anatomy studies this is of a character from the jukebox musical you can see that he's yeah. the villain it uh, looks like pixely so i don't know if it's going through but what else i also have the side profile but my art has taken a more simplified and definitely manga inspired um style I wouldn't say simplified, recent... just different. It's a different style. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then more recently, I found a like a simple doodle style, since I said I had two. So I can draw things a lot more detailed, but I can also like, just like, just get it done. <laughs> I don't know. I've well, got I see you have a Thescon shirt on. Guy. Yes, I do. What is that? Thescon um, is a conference for thespians. A thespian is someone who's in, I almost said indoctrinated, inducted <laughs> in the thespian society, which is a theater group. It's just like a big theater group. Oh, cool. And so I go, I went to Thescon with my school theater troupe and we got to do workshops where we learned about dancing singing and acting i went to one class called acting on camera where i have a lot of notes <laughs> i just took notes i needed them and i did a lot of dancing there i really like to dance so yeah it's just like it's like a convention basically for theater people very very fun do you do anything that's like would be seen as like analytical or rigid it's not that I don't um, have an admiration for some of those things, but some of it is just not my strong suit. I mean, we know where your strong 
um, suits are and where your passion is. I think it's it's great that you're always following, you know, what you're good at, what you like, what you're what you're passionate about. You know, I've seen you on on stage and and the passion that you have for, you know, for theater is um, it's hard to match. I've seen, you know, I've seen the productions. These things are long. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of work that goes into the preparation. So, you know, you know, kudos to you for, you know, for being, for having passion for something like that and having it for so long. And you're still very young. So you have a long future ahead, you know? Yeah, I think I'm very lucky to have started as young as I did, even though I thought that I was getting sort of a late start starting at 13, knowing that I had wanted to start doing theater for a while. But I think I am very lucky to be where I am. This yeah. show is called Where You Stumble. And we don't need to go into anything heavy. Um, but, you know, we, we could talk about some moments in your life where you felt like maybe you didn't want to do the stuff you're doing now um, or maybe something got in the way and you felt like you were not going to be able to do what you're doing. Yeah, I definitely did have moments like that. I think when we moved back here from Florida, I felt very isolated because that was when COVID was really um, like spiking. So I couldn't go anywhere. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any outlet for the feelings that I had. So I sort of went into a very bad depression. And I mean, I have before. You obviously know this. But it was very bad to the point where I didn't have that joy for theater art anymore. I didn't, I thought that I had like, I had just gotten it out and that was it. And I would never get into it or find that joy again, like doing it. And it wasn't until I did Into the Woods that I really found that I just wanted to keep doing it. I thought that that was it and it had run its course. So I thought. Can I ask you? You can. Do you think that the those feelings that you had were specifically due to the depression and not because you were bored of theater or you thought you've done enough? Um, or, you know, do you what do you think attributed to, you know, those feelings? Obviously, you mentioned COVID. I I think it was mainly depression. The depression made me think that since I wasn't doing anything, if I were to do it again, I would just be bored. Or it just made me think that it wasn't my passion anymore, that it was just a hobby. And so I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know what interests me. And it felt really frustrating to not know what I wanted to do or where I wanted to be or like what kind of people I wanted to be friends with because I didn't know anybody. 
So this is a good topic that I that I think we need to touch on. Here we have a very talented kid that has done a lot of um, a lot of art, a lot of amazing work. Um, we we moved to to a new state and COVID hits, so everyone's on lockdown. So not only did you not have any friends because you had just moved to a new state, but COVID hits and we spend months at home, right? Um, so now you you have a person, again, with with a lot of love for theater, film, art. Um, there's a lot of joy. Um, and then you're hit by by COVID, right? The co the pandemic um, basically stopped everything you you loved for for a while. I don't think you you know. I think uh, your um, I don't think that you did into the woods immediately after you know it was a maybe a year later, right after COVID came. You know after the pandemic. Um, Into the Woods, that was in 2021. So in 2020, I had no passion for anything. I had no motivation for anything. And that was also a very bad year for me academically because I had to do it virtually. And it was just not a good environment for me. It didn't work. So I was going through a lot in a lot of different places and I found into the woods through the theater advisory that I was in and even then I wasn't involved because how can you be involved if you're just not even looking at people through a screen you're just looking at those those little circles with their initial on it I didn't know anyone and someone posted that they were going to do into the woods and so I mean that's I guess it was like a little like desperate move to do something because if I didn't, I probably just would have been depressed for another year. No motivation, motivation without knowing anyone. But yeah. So, so then y'all, you all had kind of moved to a new state over the course of the pandemic. It was we at moved. the start of, we moved in March. We and moved in March in- and lockdown started in right, March. Right. Yeah, so I mean, kudos you- to you. That's serious that like I think just the fact that you entertain the idea alone like through the depression would still be enough cuz like to be the new guy and still jump into the play anyway and st- you know what I mean like that's amazing. And the play was done over the summer. So yeah. some of the people didn't even go to the school that we went to. It wasn't affiliated with the school. It was one of the students, it was her capstone project to start a theater company. So she started a a theater company. She put on the production of Into the Woods. It was kind of a mess, but I mean, I met people through there. I actually met my boyfriend there and we've been together for almost two years. So it really probably saved me because if I hadn't done it, I don't know where I would be. Yeah, so that's, you know, you make a good point there, right? That something saved you. Um, The reason why I'm saying that is because 
there are other people, there are other kids, there are other teenagers and adults that um, that need to find someone or speak out about how they're feeling. And I remember thinking during COVID, you know, that um, I'm also home and I felt like I was going crazy for a while. And I have, you know, I have a pretty easy setup. I work from home. I don't necessarily need to leave my house to to get anything. I, um, but I was feeling like I was becoming detached from humanity, right? From humans, from socializing with humans, and as and I I recognized the need to be home and and stay safe and keep my family safe. But at the same time, I wanted to go out. I wanted to, 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 to be social. And, and, and also I recognized that other people were going through the same thing as, as us. We, we are social beings. We need to, to talk to people and we were forced and by choice also because we we recognized that the the risk of of um of going out so it was also by choice but but the 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 need to want to go back out to something that was somewhat normal um we we definitely needed it um and you know maybe people still need it now right where where they may feel down or depressed or or um just kind of beat down by by situations i hope that they hear this and they see that you have to hang on you have to keep trying and and um you know we bounce back you know we bounce back and you know i'm i'm very happy that i see that you you bounced back you held on and 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 it was tough. I mean, it was a tough couple of years um, during the pandemic because we had to do what we had to do to to you know to avoid the risk of you know of COVID and and um, but we gave up a lot and you know I feel bad that that you guys had to give up some things, but I think it worked out. I think uh, you know Matthew, how did you yeah. handle? um you know the pandemic uh with playstation plus discounts and uh so i'm i'm kind of weird i'm i'm pretty isolated so it's different for me i think but i felt like like it's good to see that you flourished because like i don't understand how like it those are such formative years in my head with socializing like and granted i mean you i when you had mentioned that you uh like what was it he said the uh you didn't know all the plays that you were in and emily started to list some for you and it's yeah. but then like as you're talking about things like each of your stories you literally listed a different play than any other play that was mentioned so far so like the story about into the woods you didn't say anything about into the woods until you told that story so it's kind of nuts to me was, that like yeah that one didn't happen until we moved back to georgia so i was mm -hmm. just listing the ones from florida when i had 
really just like started theater. Yeah, gotcha. But even that, it's yeah. just like, it's kind of nuts to me to hear that you could be so deeply involved. Like I'm sure it, to like have an analog for it, like Stephen King probably forgets the titles of some of his books. You know what I mean? Like then it's, yeah. it gets to that point yeah. where like your, your resume and your projects are so extensive that you literally just are, it's at some point I did this. Yeah. Oh yeah. I do remember working on that. Like, yeah, I think kind of we, fantastic. Of we remind you <laughs> yeah. of the work that you've been in. Yeah. Which is amazing. That's, uh, you know, we support. I did you, actually want to ask you on that note, like with just the premise of like, so Emily had asked you before, like if there's any, if there's anything concrete or analytical that you work on and you don't, you couldn't really think of one. Um, and the fact that like, you're so creative, you you're creating in so many different mediums. Do you find that there's anything similar in your creative process across those mediums? Or does each one sort of come to you in a different way? Like when you're doing music, is it a different form of creation from when you're drawing or writing or performing? I think there's a similar thought process to it. I can think of a scenario that I want to be written. And sometimes I just like get to work before it's like out of my head. Because if I don't write it down, I'll forget it. And for the jukebox musical, I didn't do, I didn't like start a document for just the little ideas till way later. This thing, it's been an idea since 2021. And I mean, I'm writing it out of order. And at first I started writing it in order, which was a bad idea because I had ideas for things way later in the story than I did for the beginning. So I started writing out of order and something else with a fic that I wrote and uploaded onto a fiction, like a fan fiction forum, I wrote it in my notes app and then I put it into Google Docs and then it was 19 pages long. <laughs> so I wrote it out like just completely unedited then months later, I would go back and separate it into chapters and then rewrite it and revise it. I think my thought process is I have an idea and I get it out in the most sloppy way imaginable and I don't touch it for a little bit. And then I go back and be like, okay, now I can see what needs to be fixed because like my brain has sort of like passed by the this is the idea phase and has moved on to this is what I need to fix phase, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's kind of cool to see that like your analytics, you don't realize that you're being analytical, but yeah. that is very analytical. Like, you have a formula that you're using. It's not, you know, just random spurts of, of inspiration. Like you, you've got a, a system down. I do think I do get random spurts of inspiration. Um. I think Especially that's creativity recently, in general, though. I, like, yeah, that's... yeah. If I get reminded of something, I was, like, sometimes I hang out my, with my friends and they go, hey, how's, like, the musical going? And I'm like, God, I haven't worked on that in months. Then I'll go home and work on it. Then I'll send it to my friend who I'm working on it with, and then he'll get feedback. And then all I want to do is just keep working on it. I wonder why that is. Yeah. It's funny how, like, even a, a small bit of attention to a project will just 
full gas, no brakes. I don't it think we brought this up yet, but AJ has ADHD. That's why I, I was do. saying, I wonder what so that I is. I think we all have that in common. <laughs> I have raging That's ADHD, sweet. and it's been unmedicated for a few months now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's why I was we like, should just change I the name won- of the podcast at this point. Like, it should. <laughs> yeah. Where are your neurodiverse? Yeah. <laughs> I. Where you diverge? Something, but I can't hear it. I was saying where you diverge neurotypically. Still can't hear it. I don't. At least not for me. Yeah, me either. I don't know. What's funny? You said so... earlier. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead, Emily. Something you said earlier, AJ, about how you thought you lost your passion for um for theater, and I I was wondering if that had anything to do with ADHD because I mean. Sometimes I'm afraid that I'm going to lose my passion and I like I go through this cycle of like even though I still have this passion for whatever thing it is I I just no. get anxious that I'm going to lose it and, and I'll feel like god I've put so much time and energy into this passion and I know I'm going to lose it eventually and it's like I'm anticipating that grief that I'm going to feel when I no longer have that passion and then I'm going to feel empty and I know like it happens for some passions and it doesn't happen for other passions, but I always go through that cycle of even before I lose an interest, I like grieve that I'm going to lose it. And I was wondering if, if it was similar for you when you were when you were afraid that you were going to lose your interest with theater. I think part of it was um ADHD because I have special interests and I also have hyperfixations. So hyperfixations, I it's literally what it sounds like. I get very very interested and I want to put all of my energy into this one thing and then it'll just fizz out. And then that's it. But after a Guilty. long period of time, I can be <laughs> after a long period of time, I can be reintroduced to these former hyperfixations and they can mm-hmm. become special interests and that's what happened with certain like anime series and also vocaloid which i won't talk about what vocaloid is but it was a hyperfixation when i was in middle school and i was reintroduced to it and i knew everything about it in middle school and i know everything about it now because it's a special interest and my interest in this may not always be on my mind 24-7, but it's always, like, there. And mm-hmm. if someone mentions it, it's going to trigger it again. So, so I think... M- m- sorry. Matthew and I were actually talking about this earlier today outside of the podcast about... Um, and this is all related, about ADH- ADHD and how we can pick something up, hyperfixate, and then just drop it and never go back, right? Um, and I was I was thinking about that throughout my entire life where I think I did that with people too, where mm-hmm. they, they were there, I liked them for a little bit, and then I just completely dropped them. And there's no grieving. I just moved on. Um, and I think 
I think uh, all four of us probably have been able to do that with people, um, but also with other things like, you know, just hyperfixate on on a book or a hobby and then just drop it and never revisit it again. And I used to feel bad about that, but now I, I don't because I mean, it's who I am. I think for me personally, I can forget about something, but I might just, I don't know if I can drop it and then never come back to it. I feel like if it's mentioned, it will trigger that. Um, yeah, it gets re That hyperfixation to me. Like with one of my favorite musicals, it's probably my all-time favorite musical just because of the reaction that like evokes in me when someone talks about it or when I consume like media, like like just art or like people writing about it. It's like the, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's my favorite. So mm -hmm. I can't shut up about it. Even if I shut up about it for a few months, and then I'm reminded that it exists again. And then I never want to stop talking. So I want to bring something up. Matthew, um, you had sent me something the other day and, and it's, it's stuck with me and I, um, I can relate. And it was where, because we're so similar, I think we're all going to be able to relate to they, that people in our own families see us as different or, you know, um, you know, I'm going to keep it that way. They see us different. Um, and that bothered me for a while because I, I, I always thought that I was, you know, like I'm a normal person. I'm just a regular guy. I'm a good guy. Um, I'm doing my best. I'm just trying to, you know, to, you know, to, get through life and raise my kids the way that I think, um, you know, makes sense. But I felt for a long time, I felt like, um, like the black sheep. Right. Yeah. And I think that we're not, obviously, uh, um, you see, you know, that, uh, because we have these similarities, we can enjoy and appreciate each other and, and recognize that, that, um, you know, it's all good, you know? Mm -hmm. Over time, I've kind of caught on. It's for me, the, and the thing that made it easy, like it took, it took quite a lot of therapy to get to the point, but it, uh, it, it took, a lot of talk therapy, a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, a lot of like revisiting of, of events and like rewrite. That's like what CBT is. But um, like going back and thinking, there's there's definitely family members like my grandfather, for example, where it's like you are absolutely ADHD, but you're from a time and from a culture that one has no idea what that is does not you come from a family that never would have known or had the opportunity to visit a psychiatrist mm -hmm. and even that a psychiatrist of those days wouldn't have that's not a thing that was a diagnosis even mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. didn't know how to treat that even if they understood what it was 
Um, it was just that's who he is. Like he he does that. He he behaves that way. Um, and like there's a certain level of like, um, Frank. I think I had sent you. Uh, I don't know if I, I do still have it right here. Uh, this is like a little blurb from uh, Create Dangerously by Albert Camus. I don't know if I can get it on screen mm -hmm. there, mm -hmm. but um, I had sent you like a tiny little thing that I'm just going to read real quick because I feel like it's applicable here. Mm -hmm. um, where he says, when praying, a wise man from the East always implored his deity to spare him from living in interesting times. Since we're not wise men, our deity has not spared us, for we do live in interesting times. In any case, our error refuses to, uh, refuses to allow us to ignore it. The writers of today already know this. They speak out, they're immediately criticized and attacked. If they remain silent out of humili humility, no one will ever speak of anything but their silence to raucously reproach them. I think that's kind of the problem that we had for a yeah. long time is like now we're at the point where we can see back, we can look back on those things in history. We can look back at like misdiagnoses or non-diagnoses. And it's, I don't think that we were black sheep per se because our family outcasted us in any way. It's it's a thing that was always there for our families that they couldn't put a finger on. Mm -hmm. And now we are here to say like, so this is what it is. And it's like, I like they don't want to talk about it. That's not a topic that they want to breach. That's not a thing they want to discuss. It's the idea of abnormality is scary and frightening in any way. So like any sort of change from the norm feels uncomfortable. And it's but I like, think that's the problem. I think I the problem is that. that the norm is not normal. It's right. So there and isn't a normal. To, yeah. I can relate to being um not one like not wanting to talk about certain things because there are obviously certain things about me that people notice that they just they don't want to have to talk about it they don't want to acknowledge certain things like the way that i dress my um my identity and adhd those things in my family well in my extended family they think that it's not normal so mm -hmm. we just don't talk about it but we talk about it yeah, we talk about it. That's why I said extended family because first like um it's not like a bad thing especially for our grandparents. We just don't talk about it because like it doesn't bother me as much. But I know that it we do it to sort of protect them. We've mm -hmm. talked about that where um we sort of give them a break on that. Yeah, like I'm not expecting everyone to understand it or like just respect it i'm not expecting everyone to respect me but well i think it would be preferred just, yeah i think um what I, i'll touch on a little bit mm -hmm. i think the problem is that some people believe that their norm is normal right and yeah. And they're wrong because, and, and I'll just talk about clothing in particular, um, gender based clothing, right? Like you're a boy, you wear pants, you're a girl, 
you wear skirts. That's it. Boys don't wear pink. You know, things like that don't make any sense. And because those those gender related norms are being destroyed, people that grew up in those norms, um, they're fighting back in however way they want. And I'm I'm very open about um, about letting my kids be themselves. If AJ wants to wear a skirt, AJ wears a skirt. If AJ wants to wear a dress, AJ wears a dress. If you want to wear pants, you wear pants. Yeah. <laughs> right? So it, it and, I'll and, do it. and yeah. I dare you. <laughs> There's a and, really good, uh, not to bring him into the thing. You guys are going to find out real quick that I'm obsessed with this man. But uh, Albert Camus has a quote that says, you have to become so free that living your life is an act of rebellion. Literally yeah. just living is an act, which it is. realistically, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you are so literally expressing every, revolution every just day. by living. And yeah. So, I, I, and I think the four of us can uh, can attest to that, right? Where I living the way that I live and raising my kids the way that I think is right is it is like a revolution, right? Because mm-hmm. it is definitely not the norm and it is certainly not the norm yeah and and it disrupts the the peace sometimes and i think it's a good thing to yeah yeah and i personally i like identify like with the punk community and i'm and i'm in the punk community and within that community we're very big on self-expression and fighting against the norm disrupting the peace and just doing things every day is an act of rebellion, like you said. And rebellion isn't like a bad thing. Per yeah, se. it's not it's like breaking laws. Fighting back. Yeah, it's fighting. You're not back. necessarily. Well, yeah. In in uh, in <laughs> heteronormative Anglo-Saxon circles, it is. In, yeah, yeah. In yep. Christian conformed cultures, it is because the idea of rebellion Anything. is satanic. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so oh, that's the problem. It's almost mm-hmm. like it's inherent to that way of thinking. It's very ideological and it's scary how, like, I think Jason froze again. Yeah. Yep. I shouldn't have said the Dark Lord's name. That's what yeah. happened. <laughs> It's <laughs> it's all your fault. Yep. <laughs> Hold on one second. Let's see if he pops back up. Yeah. We'll lose him for a bit, but he'll pop back up. You brought up um like clothing is such an easy thing to talk about because you know anybody can wear anything. And but I never really thought that I looked very masculine. I don't think I look very masculine. But when I was in the Dominican Republic for my quick vacation, I <laughs> I guess the way that they perceived me was much more masculine than any American has ever clocked me. And it yeah, it was entertaining to see like the lengths they would go to defend the way that they clocked me. They, you know, I got called boy every day. And, you know, the, the lady who works for my grandparents would have to, like, de- defend me on my behalf because I could hardly speak Spanish. She would, 
you know, tell people that I was a girl and like they were adamant that I was a boy. And I, it's entertaining because that I think I the think fact that, that gender is defined differently yeah. and, you know, the way that they define what qualifies as masculine, like it's more or less the same because we have things like colonization that have like swept general um, definitions everywhere that they reach. But I mean, I wore jeans and a t-shirt and and I have short hair. I, I wore makeup and earrings and I thought that would balance it out. But no, I I was a man when I was over there. Yep. In their eyes. It would make it. Yeah. No, yeah. I was going to say, in their eyes, it probably made it worse that you did put on makeup and earrings because they're like, what's wrong with that boy? Why is that boy wearing makeup? Yeah. And I can't, I don't even know how they referred to me when I was over there because I know even less Spanish than she does. And I mean, I don't advocate for myself in places where I'm not familiar. So I don't know how they saw me, but. To the people that did know, like Victoria, I would, I did tell her, I was like, oh, I'm just, I'm a boy. I just dress up. I'm like, that's it. That's all there is to it. Yeah. And kids are a lot easier with that kind of stuff because kids are so much easier because kids dress up. So they're like, why can't an adult dress up too? Right. We touched on that in the last episode. Yes. What religion are you? The one you were taught. Mm-hmm. When were you taught? Yeah. All the things that you learn that you need to unlearn the bad yeah. learning. Yep. Yeah, so you two are the whitest Dominicans I've ever seen. Gee, yeah, thanks. and it's even worse. I've dyed my hair blonde. It's you know what's funny. I was I, for a little bit. I don't like that phrase. What? White? I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna call you out on this because here's the thing. Here's the thing with that. Go ahead. I actually said that as a joke, but go ahead. Yeah, I I really don't like so growing up that was a thing for me. It was a real source of like frustration mm-hmm. because people would think I'm white. People mm-hmm. wouldn't like no one would ever characterize, but they never thought that because it was more that like I didn't outright speak Spanish. And so I used to get a I used to get pissed and it wasn't until college that it really hit me where like I would get mad mad like I would, mm-hmm. <laughs> people would be like you're Spanish, but you so, you're like you're not you don't you're 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 so white like you you what and it's like right like yeah. I would literally get mad like should I be like what am I supposed to do like sell churros in class like, like what how am I I when I was a kid and even now sometimes I've had racial identity crises because oh, yeah. I didn't know what I was and I didn't know where i like where i fit in because i didn't speak spanish i wasn't black i wasn't white i don't know what i am i still don't know what i am and it's just a like a just a never-ending journey of finding like what what that is to me what that means for my identity so that statement was a setup uh matthew because i knew it would get you worked up and (laughs) And it got you right into his uh, trap. You did, yeah. Uh, and I'm I'm glad you 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 did. We we talked about this earlier, um, Emily and I about. So, you know, the they don't speak Spanish as much as I speak Spanish, um, but I was born in the Dominican, right? I was raised by my parents that don't speak English, 
But the topic was more about, um, you know, don't, you can't blame me for not speaking the language when you only speak one language, right? Like, and I'm talking about Mm -hmm. my kids, you know, the kids where you're, you're, you know, I'm trying to phrase it in a, in the right way. I get a I'm lot sure of heat. It's, I get a lot of heat because my kids don't speak Spanish. I do want to yeah. say, when we were in New York, when we lived in New York, we spoke Spanglish. When we moved to Georgia, yeah. we started learning English words for things, and eventually, and eventually, we just stopped using it. Yeah, and that made me upset for a very long time because I felt like I was losing the little like grasps that I had of my culture, just so, the little mm-hmm. things. I so felt here's... like I was losing it. Yeah, so here's the thing with me was it wasn't deliberate. I didn't um, force you to not learn the language. I feel like I was, and I feel bad about it because I was so busy working. Like I was always traveling for work. I mean, I was gone for like five years traveling every single week. Um, So that's tough. But, you know, that's what you have to do, you know, to pay the bills. So, but I get a lot of shit because my kids don't speak Spanish. Um, they're not fluent. They, Emily is, and Emily knows a lot. Know. Yeah, I've I been do. studying it for a few months, and I know, think spending you know, three months over there helped. So, I think among all of my siblings, I know the least. I can hear it. I can read it. I don't speak it very well. I took two formal Spanish classes, and I don't remember Jack. So. I you mean, know, and again, I, I feel bad about it, but it wasn't deliberate. It's not entirely. Yeah, really so it's not I entirely think your it's fault. About, yeah, I don't think it's about fault at all. I think it's about, you know, I think the problem is that people feel this obligation to adhering to culture. And I, I maybe I'm too nihilist, but I really don't think culture is that important. Like, it's only important because we've been taught that our identity is where we come from. Right. But like, AJ, you have a whole personality. You have a whole career. like. Who cares what country your parents were born in? Like you are a whole person regardless of your history and you can choose to, you know, appreciate your history, but it's not, you know, it's not ne- like necessary. Yeah. One big way that I always try to like frame this, and this is kind of like, this is just another ADHD moment. But when I try to think of something in this world and figure out, is this important? Pretend it's fiction. Pretend you're reading a story and that this world is lore. How much does yeah. the nationality matter to That's you a in a story you're reading? I love doing that. How much that. does it love... matter with your characters? Because like, if you're reading a character and For it's some like... some characters, it can matter. But only but when only that's as, the lens. Yeah, only that has to be the filter of the story. It has to it be right. also just something. It's not. It doesn't have to be the pinnacle of their story. Exactly. If that's what you guys are saying. Well, like it. I feel like any any story I've ever read where the character's nationality or religion or you know cultural references, the story ends up revolving around that completely. Like there's a guy. I can't remember the name of the book. Uh, the, it revolved around this guy, P.D. Thomas. Um, like growing up in Manhattan as a Puerto Rican. And the whole book is about being Puerto Rican. 
but it's like there's stuff that he does in the book where I'm like, but I'm Dominican and I completely relate to all this shit. Like this isn't mm-hmm. just yours, mm-hmm. but yeah. his claim of reference is being Puerto Rican. And he's like, this was the Puerto Rican experience. And it's like, no, it was the poor New Yorker experience. Yeah. Yeah. And you happen to be Puerto Rican. So yes. that's, that's your filter. Yeah. But like, like that makes it's, sense. It's more divisive than anything. That mm-hmm. does make sense to me. I know what you mean, especially with, I think that representation in media is important. And that comes with um, like racial representation and where people come from. Like it can be relevant to some stories. And yeah. there was recently. Well, I think this is the divide between a modernist and a postmodernist approach. I think you can only get to a postmodernist approach if you go through all the modernism first. But it's like, yes. <laughs> Until we can no longer see color, we have to see color and we have to be honest that colored people exist, non-white people exist, non-Americans exist. But until, you know, until we can like, like get out of this headspace that like the only people that exist are white Americans, you know, we have to say like, we exist, we have to talk about our history. Right. When and was... then we can finally reach metamodernist existences. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then we can really have fun. Mean. So there's modernism is the idea of the okay. thing, like we're focusing on that on on a thing, postmodern. Oh, he's gone. Post-age. Again, AJ's back. There we go, back with a vengeance. I keep <laughs> there. He is. I, I'll be back. Mm-hmm. Okay, Arnold. <laughs> but I was I was saying, um I was going somewhere with what I was saying before I was rudely interrupted. Um. <laughs> the new matilda movie the matilda musical adaptation has miss honey played by a black woman and people thought that it would not i gotta think about how i put this some people thought that it was unnecessary and that if she was originally black and then replaced with a white woman that there would be a problem but there wasn't because there was a character from the original Matilda movie who was black and then recasted with a white person, but no one rioted or like had any problem with it because that wasn't pinnacle to her character. So right. Miss Honey was played by a black woman and she did amazing. And Lavender, one of the characters, she was played by a little white girl and no one had a problem with it because her racial identity wasn't like the sole purpose of her character her character was a supporting character she was just matilda's best friend so i know what you mean when you say that like i don't originally remember what you said but if it's not pivotal to the character like if it's not circling that premise then then there's no need like it's it's irrelevant and i thought that was a really good example of it I think what you're touching on, I think it's um, uh, James Baldwin goes into that a bit more vulgarly, vulgarly than I'm going to put it. But uh, he he has a really he has quite a, an extensive library. But one one really like succinct way that he puts it is um, he's not an N word. He wasn't born an N word. And people, a certain demographic of people, made up the N-word. 
and call him the N-word. He doesn't need to be that word. He doesn't need to identify with that at all, but they need him to identify as that. They need to identify him that way. So if they need to identify him as that, if they need that identity to exist, who's the real N-word? Who's really the bad one there? If they're like, it's, if this cultural divisions need to exist, it's only so that you can differentiate from vanilla. If all ice cream was one flavor, we wouldn't need to name it a flavor. It wouldn't need a flavor. It would just be ice cream. Ice cream. Yeah. So the fact that we need to create these gradations to separate from original content, that's that's the problem. And I think mm-hmm. one of the funny things is, not to like dive into like racial politics and stuff, but like the big thing that white supremacists and racists are known for is the idea of white replacement theory because they're afraid that they are going to lose their identity because what they do to everyone is they replace everyone's identity. Mm -hmm. So the only thing they're afraid of is the same evil that they've inflicted on everyone else for so long. And now that it could come back to roost, they're afraid that that might happen to them. But the problem is they don't get that we don't give a shit about that. Yeah. We don't care. We just want to be people yeah. and not have to be like pinned to the idea of being those people, which is your bo- your trap worked because I hate I the it. idea that like <laughs> being like, I love punk rock. I'm a huge metal and punk fan. I hate that that's considered being white. Mm-hmm. That's so stupid to me that that's a white thing. We use punk uses Che Guevara on everything. Is it every time I start ranting, mm-hmm. I have to stop ranting. I have to stop ranting. It's whenever I start to go on a tangent <laughs> is when you get cut off, dude. Like, it's fine. I mean, I liked I liked hearing what I did before. Mm-hmm. But it was good. Because yeah. there aren't just like that space isn't just for white people it's for everyone right so just trying to like build spaces that are just for white people i think that's stupid i think you can't be anti-racist if you still classify mundane activities as only belonging to one group like you can't say that you i don't know you can't say that you're you're not racist you can't say that you're anti-racist if you're still if you still hold on to those things and i think even as a joke like I, i don't know i think as a joke it's on thin ice but you fell into the trap <laughs> but it worked so My... yeah i mean yeah yeah i think um you know all those divisions that that are created um we need to just keep working at it my yeah. bottom line personally i like to be connected to my um origin i would like to have that be another part of my personality because emily said i'm already like i have a fully crafted personality i have so many things about me i want that to be another thing about me just my pride of who i am and where i'm from I yeah would, i love my i want to be able to have that i love my culture not just because i come from it like 
roll a dice I might be obsessed with a different culture one day but like I like the language I like the way it sounds I like communicating with people in that language I like listening to that music I like learning about that history but mm-hmm. I also I like, like the food other places <laughs> yeah like I like so many different types of foods from places that I am not considered from there but you know the yeah the added level of culture it, I think it's just unnecessary yeah like I think appreciating where we come from that's not a problem because we're not shoving it down anyone's throat right we're just we're appreciating it because it's fun it feels good it feels good to go back home and and just hang out with uh with your parents and your grandparents um and see the people and and hear the music and smell the air and you know just um see the way that they you know that they live you know there's nothing yeah. wrong with that mm-hmm. and emily you I, you mentioned you like to listen to the music uh what's some you know some dominican music that you that you've listened to honorable mention aventura you can't go wrong with aventura no you can't yeah my friend lauren she loves aventura I uh, I've never really been big on that stuff. Wow, you're crazy. <laughs> Pretty much, that's what I've been told by most people. Yeah. <laughs> My boyfriend, he's half Colombian. He really likes Spanish music. He's very into all kinds of Spanish music. Um, he really likes um, what's his name? J Balvin. Balvin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maluma. He's Colombian too. They're Colombian. Shakira's yeah. Colombian too. Shakira, he listens to, he listens to Bad Bunny, Selena. He listens to a lot of um Hispanic music, and I started listening to more Hispanic music because of it. Yeah, I burned I burned through bachata albums. Yep. I was gonna say, I don't know a lot of Hispanic music by the names. If I hear it, mm-hmm. I know it, but that's because. I've listened to it from such a young age before I even knew how to read. So that's the way that I know Spanish music. Mm-hmm. I'll hear it and it's like, oh, I know this one. What's it called? No clue. But <laughs> I listen to it. So, yeah. That's yeah. a thing I have with it too. Like, I recognize a lot of the songs. I don't know who sung, who sang it, what the song is called, but exactly. And then, even, even like on the Colombian side of my family, that happens a lot too. Where it's like, I don't, I have no idea. I know that song, yeah, but uh, I'm going to go listen to more Streetlight Manifesto. Or I'm going to go crank Anti-Flag instead. It wasn't till when I started listening to more um, Bad Bunny and Selena. I learned those songs by, like, their titles. And that, because, well, Bad Bunny's newer, but um, Selena, Mm -hmm. I mean, I learned more about her when I when I knew how to read and stuff. So there are just some songs that I've known since I was young that I didn't know who they were by or like what they were called. I didn't know that Hey Jude was a Beatles song because I didn't know how to read. I didn't know who the Beatles were. I just knew that it was that one song. Yeah. So I had a a Beatles um, burn through phase and I burned through hundreds of Beatles songs because that's it's what I do. It's called a hyperfixation. There are some 
videos of the Beatles, and it's just audio of them blooping and messing up in their recording studios, and I've they're very those. funny to me. They're so funny, and I think that's what reminded me of the Beatles, and I started listening to them again. There's just numerous videos. They're hilarious. They're my favorite. I think um, we got we got a lot of good stuff. Um, I appreciate you guys joining and spending time with us and and talking about some subjects that you know are tough for some people they they seem easy for us on this call um yeah but they are tough for others and i hope that this conversation if anyone is listening that it would help them make it easier to talk about some of the things we touched on we touched on gender and gender identity racism um, depression ADHD and some others and you know those are not easy topics we talk about them pretty easily on here um, and I hope that uh, you know that us being able to talk about it more openly would help others to also um, be more open about any of those issues that if they you know that they may have issues with find more comfort in it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know and and be more comfortable talking about it you know yeah i mean we have we have um a good age gap here 45 34 33 well 34 in april yeah yeah you know and 19 17 yeah you know, and we're all, uh, we all can, can um, talk about it and, and have stories about it. And, and we're, I'm sure we're all working through things. So I'm glad you guys were able to, to join and talk about those things. And again, I'll mention it again. I hope that this has, this will make it easier for others to feel more comfortable to be able to talk about, you know, their depression or their gender identity, or if they're being, um, or if they feel attacked because of their race, you know, that they're able to, to speak up.